Welcome to the Knox Podcast, featuring a sermon from the Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Kenmore, New York. For more information about Knox Church, visit our website at knoxepc.com or email us at office at knoxepc.com. To request prayer, send an email to pastor at knoxepc.com. As we continue through a couple more weeks in the Psalms, we're going to be reading Psalm 63 together. Today, please open your Bibles to Psalm 63. You can follow along as we read Psalm 63. Please rise. Here's a Psalm of David to you today. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power, your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life will go down into the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. May God bless this reading of his word today. Please have a seat. A few years back, my wife and I got addicted to this show called Survivor Man. Have you seen Survivor Man? It was, it was really popular for a little while there. Uh, the host would throw himself into the wilderness in different parts of the world for a week. And without any help, any, any external assistance, he would su- simply survive off the land. And often that's all he did, was just merely survive. He wasn't building a house. He wasn't finding a feast in the wilderness. He was just eking by day by day. And so we watched him in all these different locations. And the thing I remember above all things, other than the one episode where he got stalked in the jungle by a a jaguar and had to actually escape into town uh, because of that, was that he drilled into our heads there's an order of survival. That when you get, if you ever find yourself in a survival situation, there are some things you do first and some things you put off. He said, for instance, you don't need to find food right away. Your body can survive up to easily a month without food. It won't be a happy month, but you you can survive without food for a month. He said the two most important things, apart from safety, if you're in a dangerous situation, get to safety. But he said, shelter, then water. Shelter, then water. You have to have shelter first, otherwise you could be in a bad way. But then water. And I remember the hardest place for him to find water was not, surprisingly, the episodes he would find himself in the desert. And he had to do a few different things to find water in the desert, find certain plants and vegetables, or he would make a solar still, or he would lick dew off of leaves in the morning. Just whatever it took 
to find water. And he would say that being in the desert is so dangerous, not just because water is very scarce, but because that dry atmosphere will wick away the moisture from your body before you'll even know it. You'll be so dehydrated and stumbling about. And you can maybe last three days, if you're lucky, without water, but you really do need it. Well, King David had a lot of time to think about being thirsty. At least two times in his life, he was on the run from powerful forces that were seeking to kill him. And he fled into the the Judean wilderness both times. One time was when King Saul was trying to murder him, was jealous of all of David's accomplishments. So David fled with his men out into the wilderness. And then a second time when his own son, Absalom, staged a coup and was trying to kill David once again. So both times he goes out. We don't know which of these two times Psalm 63 takes place in, but it's one of those two times where he's fleeing out into the wilderness. Same wilderness, by the way, that centuries later Jesus Christ would exile himself by the command of the Holy Spirit to go into 40 days of fasting. It's a very desolate place, the wilderness in Judea. There's very little out there. And as he's stumbling around, his body racked with hunger and thirst, his soul in anguish because of betrayal, we have to ask this question, what did David desire most? What was he really thinking about? When you're just walking along in the desert, you have a lot of hours to be thinking about what you really want. What did he want most? Did he want revenge against those who were seeking to kill him? Did he want reconciliation? Because he was at his heart a pretty nice guy. Did he want an oasis of water and coconuts and food to quench his thirst and feed his hunger? Or was he looking for something far more essential to his being? Something that even was higher up on his priority list than shelter and water. Well, does anybody here, I know this seems like a really weird segue, does anybody here remember White Castle? We don't have it here in western New York. Back in Detroit, we had it. Midwest, we had it. I looked on a map this past week. I was this time well spent looking up where the nearest White Castles are to western New York. You have to go into the city. You have to go all the way to the city. they got like five or six over in the city. But if you've never had White Castle, and God bless you because you're more healthy than those who have. They're, they're not good for your body. What they are, if you've never had them, they're these square little sliders. Uh, they, my dad loves them. My dad absolutely, if he could get his hands on them, he loves White Castle burgers. My mom hates them. She calls them rat burgers. It's like, don't eat them. If you ever want to get unhealthy in a hurry, you go and you don't just buy one. You buy a sack of them. Because you, that's like a fast express lane right to the hospital. A sack of White Castle sliders. But the reason I was thinking about White Castle this past week was because it had a slogan that I thought was really good. It worked very well for it. And for the longest time, the slogan was this, White Castle, it's what you crave. It's what you crave. So the idea here that the marketers came up with is, you're really hungry one night, it's late at night, you say, well, I'm young, I'm invincible, whatever. I'm craving a whole bag of sliders. I'm craving a whole bag of these greasy little square burger, and I just, I, I got to have it. I crave it. 
I want it more than anything else I've wanted right now. There's a lot of things we crave in our lives. Hopefully not White Castle, but there are things you crave. And what I notice is a lot of times when you crave something, it's because you've just been deprived of it. It's a really hot day, and you crave air conditioning and a cool drink. You crave it. You want it more than you normally want it. Or maybe if uh, you're lonely, you crave company. You crave companionship. I understand that. Or maybe if you're exhausted, you crave, well, a lot of us are craving this morning, a soft mattress, a firm pillow. You just crave it. You want it. You're thinking about it. You're fantasizing about it. Maybe you'll do anything you can get to do to get it. So, going back to our dry, barren wasteland, where there is nary a white castle in sight, what is David craving in this moment? He's got a lot of time as, as he's walking step by step, going on, just putting distance between him and the bad guys. What is he craving? What it fills his mind with desire? What is he fantasizing about? What will he do anything to get? What is he pushing his body to the very limit to go get? It's not even a, a creek of clear water. But we find out right here in verse 1, he is craving God. He is craving God. He would think, now, if I was in a great place in my life, then I would have time to crave God. But here he is in a place in his life where it's literally a survival situation. He has a lot of things that he should be doing to survive. He says right at the top of the list, God. That's what I want more than anything else. He's consumed by that thought. The verses here say he's seeking God. Not just seeking, he's thirsting after God. He's hungering after God. He's fainting because he doesn't have God. He wants God more than anything else. Well, why is he like this? Why is it? I mean, if we could give him a pass right here, say, poor David, you're going through a really hard time in your life right now. It's okay if you skip church on Sunday, right? Some people come up to me and say, I get this a lot. You know, I've got this thing going on on Sunday. And then there's that pause where they are clearly waiting for me to say, it's okay for you to skip church on Sunday, right? I, I have to give them permission. And I don't do that because, um, you know, we should, I, I understand things come up, but we should crave God. And I don't want to start this trend of saying it's okay not to crave God. If David's saying even in the worst survival situation, we should want God in first and foremost. But what I want to dig down is why is he like this? Why is David saying even in this hard situation, I'm putting God right at the top. Why is he like this? Well, I think it's actually a simple answer. If you don't have God, what's the point to anything? Really, think about it. What's the point to your life's accomplishments if it all goes away in the end? What's the point to struggling on day by day if all you're doing is merely existing? I think there's a lot of people in our society who merely exist. They're going day by day looking for whatever will bring them a little bit of happiness, a little bit of, you know, just dull the pain a little bit and get me to the next day and the next day and the next day. David says, I see something better than that. And I want it. I want it bad. Why persevere? What pleasure can you bring in your life that will last forever? Well, centuries after David, there was a woman who came to a well and she also had a thirst. 
And she was looking for a bucket of water, bringing it up so that she could quench her thirst for a little bit. And there she met a man, and this man said as she's getting this water, he said, you know what, that water's only going to satisfy you for a little while. I just took a sip of water before I started preaching. I'm already thirsty right now. And that's what Jesus said to her. You're only going to be satisfying that thirst for a little bit. But if you come to me, I will give you a living water that will never run dry. A living water that will fill you up so completely you will never be left unsatisfied. I don't think she was dumb. I think she knew he wasn't really talking about water at this point. But talking about something that could satisfy not just her body, but her soul. She was looking for soul satisfaction. And like this Samaritan woman, David is absolutely desperate to be satisfied in his soul. He wants something that will last forever. He wants something that he craves more than anything else. And God is what David craved. God is whom David thirsted for. Even as his lips became parched, his tongue swelled, his head started to throb in the wilderness, and he was just looking for water, but really he craved God beyond that. His deepest longings could only be met and fulfilled by the presence and the love and the grace of our Lord. That's all that could satisfy problem is many people in our society, they're thirsting for something they don't know what they're actually thirsting for. They're thirsting. They're taking sips of temporary satisfaction in their life, something that will just make them happy for a little bit, but they're going to be thirsty again soon. They don't really realize that they're seeking a source of eternal satisfaction, and they're only going to find it in one place. Or it might be even somebody who comes to church. And I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not pointing fingers. But it might be somebody who comes to church with this attitude that they'll, they'll spend some time with God, they'll give to God, as long as God doesn't inconvenience them. They won't say it, but they figure, some of these people, that God needs them more than they need God. They don't realize what they're really truly thirsty for. Our thirst for Christ is what propels us forward in our relationship and our mission with Him. It's what keeps us going. Because we're looking beyond tomorrow. We're looking all the way into eternity. We're looking for satisfaction in our soul. And once we get that, we are off like a shot. It's what keeps us going. Keeps us moving. Even when we struggle and we groan. And yes, sometimes even when we suffer. We know what we want. Our hearts crave the Lord. Well, you might not find a lot of water out in the desert, but do you know what sometimes you might see is a mirage, right? Those mirages, you're, you might get so tired and your eyes get a little weak and the sun beats down on the ground in just a certain way and you look up and you're like, oh, a lake, right? There's that, the mirage of a lake or an ocean and you start heading toward it, but it's just a vision. and You can't actually get there. So it's not really real. Well, as he's walking along, David sees something that's not actually there. He gets, but it's not a mirage. It's right there in verse 2. He gets a vision of something far beyond the desert. He's given a vision as an answer to the prayer in verse 1. He writes this. He says, I have looked upon you, where? 
in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. This sometimes happens in the Bible where God grants people a vision of Him either in heaven or in the temple. And here David is given, just like Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, he beholds God in His glory and power. He says, oh my goodness, I'm given this vision. And David is being given a vision here where he sees beyond the desert into the holy of holies in the temple where he bestows the power and the glory and the majesty of the Lord. He has been seeking God and now he finds Him. He sees Him. And he rejoices. It amazes him. It blows his mind. Just getting a vision of God. We said this in Exodus when Moses could see the glory of God, when the people could bestow God in their presence. It was all they could look at. All that amazed them. One day we're going to be looking upon that and we're going to be just going, wow! If I only knew what I was going to be looking at, this would be incredible. Well, if there's one promise the Bible makes, over and over again, and there's many promises, but one promise we see repeated is that those who seek God, who really, truly seek God, will find Him. You will find Him. God says in Proverbs, I love those who love Me, and those who seek Me diligently will find Me. He adds in Jeremiah 29, you will seek and find Me when you seek Me with your whole heart. And Jesus says in Matthew 6 that this should be our motivation in how we live. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all that other stuff will be added to you. Seek God first. In other words, God is the absolute worst player if you ever want to do hide and go seek. Because He never hides well. He wants to be found. You want to find God? He's there. He says, you can find me in the words of sacred scripture. You can find me in the worship of his church. You can find me in prayer. You can find me in the majesty of my glory all around you. I can't hide from you guys. But you've got to diligently search for me. Not just half-heartedly. You've got to search with me with my whole heart. Can't be lazy. When we got our priority list every day, we've got to be like David. Say, above survival, shelter, uh, you know, go get a soft drink from McDonald's, go hang out with my friend, all the way at the top of that list. Look for God. Every day, we should be seeking God. And God's response to getting, or I'm sorry, David's response to getting this vision of God in the sanctuary is spontaneous worship. He just breaks out. He praises his dear Lord. He blesses Him. He lifts His name up. He's like the guy who falls hard for that girl and can't stop writing sappy love poetry and then reading it to you. Please don't, you know, right? It's like, hey, I know you got a good thing going, but uh, keep it to yourself. Or what about that friend who discovers the outlet malls and comes and tells you, oh my goodness, there's great sales. You got to go right now. Just people, when we get really excited about a discovery, we want to share it. We want to exclaim it. And that's what David is doing. He's found something so good, he can't stop talking about it. There is nothing that makes him bottle up his joy. I have to imagine, I'm reading between the lines a little bit here, I have to imagine how weird it was to be traveling along with David. And suddenly he stops in the middle of the wilderness, and he sees something that's not right there in front of him. And suddenly he's just bursting out in song, bursting out in joy and praise. And you're like, oh my, David, what did you see? 
I saw God's glory. I saw God. I can't stop talking about it. I would imagine they got a few of those traveling companions to want to start seeking God as well. Because when you find something really good, not only do you want to tell everybody about it, but you also want to hold on to it. You want to cling to it. And that's what he says right here in verse 8. He says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. The way he writes this puts in the mind a posture of little kids. Have you ever seen a family of mom and dad bringing in a little kid? And they get surrounded because we all like to surround cuteness. Right? So adults crowd around, and then the kid gets really frightened because they don't know who all these people are, and they're about you know, five times as tall as they are. So what do they do? They cling to the leg of mom, dad, grandma, whoever. Right? They cling to them. That's their protection. That's their shelter. You know, even if you're like falling over because you've got this weight on, they're going to cling. And that's what David says right here. He's shameless in clinging to God. And we, I, I think there might be a segment in the world that would look down on David for this. Say, David, you're supposed to be a king. You're supposed to be the guy who has it all together. You have power and wealth. You can command things, or you at least used to. And you're clinging to somebody else? You're, fall, you're falling upon them? You're, you're so uh, dependent on them that you have to hold on to them? This is a guy who literally slayed a giant The Bible says killed thousands of foes. He took out a bear and a lion when he was still a kid. So he's got that up on me. In the dictionary where it says manly men, David's face should be right right below that. He is the most manly man, and yet he is dependent on God. He is clinging to Him. Like a koala on a tree branch. He has spent his life seeking God, and once he finds Him, he will never let go. Never let go. And even if David did, even if he slipped because of his sin, even if he fell away for a minute, he knows that he's still okay. Because why? God's right hand will hold him. He can't be let go. Jesus said in John 10, He says, those who are given to Him are as safe as can be because nobody can snatch them out of the Father's hand. Once you are Jesus's, you're His for life. And you may fall away, but His right hand holds you. So if God is the worst hide-and-seek player, He's the absolute best at keep away. Because guess what? Who wants to take you away? Satan wants to take you away from God. He wants you as far away from God as possibly can be. He wants to grab you for Himself. He wants to drag you right down into hell. Who else wants to drag you away? The world. The world hates your dependence on Christ. Would rather have you depend on what it depends on, on its own wisdom and celebrities and money and materialism and all those other things that it finds temporarily pleasurable. It says, come be with us. Even your own sin tries to drag you away from the sight of your God. In all these cases, our God will not let that happen because His right hand holds you. Psalm 63, if you really look at it, you go, well, this is one of those psalms where the beginning and the end, David's in the same situation. He's in the same physical place. He starts in the desert. He ends in the desert. There's no, like, suddenly, you know, found the White Castle. Suddenly, found the Oasis. Suddenly, David was back home and everything was okay again. 
But if we look at not just physically, but spiritually, he is in a completely different place than when he was in verse 1. Verse 1, he's seeking. He's craving. He's thirsting for something he wants more than anything else. By verse 5, he has it. And it says he's more satisfied, more full than anybody who's hit a restaurant buffet after a big, long day's hard work. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness because they will be satisfied. I love that word satisfied. It's, I've been seeing it more and more in the Bible lately. And every time I see it, it just connects with me. Because yes, I want satisfaction. Satisfaction isn't the bare minimum. Satisfaction is not survival. Satisfaction is being so full that you're like, I can't eat another bite. That is what God gives to us. Do you want to be satisfied? Because when it happens to David here, he's so happy. He doesn't care what happens to his body. He's still parched. He's still thirsty. He's still hungry. He's still walking, stumbling along. But he's smiling. He's singing praises because he has the one thing he needs more than anything else. He has that soul satisfaction and trust God. And we too can be satisfied and joyful in our souls when we walk down whatever road we're walking down right now. Seek God first. Seek ye first His kingdom and He will satisfy you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask, we don't deserve what we ask for satisfaction. We ask for You in our lives. Fill us up, Lord. Fill us up so full that we won't depend on the things of the world. We may like them and enjoy some of these blessings that you give to us, but Lord, may you be the only thing, the only person, the only being, the only God that we crave, the only one we thirst for, we hunger for. Put in our hearts the same desire that David has right here in Psalm 63. And that we know, Lord, that we just... The more we seek you, the more we'll find you. The more you'll reveal yourself to us. The more we'll find things to just praise about you, to share about you from Scripture. So we pray that today. We pray for those who don't have any of that soul satisfaction in their life right now. Maybe some of our friends, our family members, maybe some of the people who came to the concert yesterday, Lord. We know that they need you. We pray that you'll work in their lives so that they'll seek you and they will find what they've been looking for, that living water. Lord, we pray all these things so much more. In your son's name, amen. To reach out to Pastor Justin, email him at pastor at knoxepc.com. Our mailing address is Knox Church, 2595 Elmwood Avenue, Kenmore, New York, 14217. Join us for worship Sundays at 10.30 a.m. either at Knox Church or on our live stream at facebook.com forward slash knoxepc. Past sermons can be found at knoxepc.com forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.